The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. This is the Pixar Sciatica Podcast. So let's talk about combat sports. I myself am a participant in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, a lot of groundwork. Uh, a little over a year and a half ago, started to have the opportunity to talk a little bit more about injuries in the Jiu-Jitsu world, grappling world. And today's guest uh, is an amazing guest because he is uh, a black belt and a physical therapist. There's a, he's been posting a ton of really helpful content when it comes to overcoming injuries, especially as a combat athlete. And after having a few conversations with you listeners, I thought that he would be a fantastic guest to be able to shed some more light on what it's like when dealing with injuries as a combat athlete, especially in jujitsu. So today I have Dr. Michael Pikarski, um, of he's just the man and his Instagram handle is Dr. Kickass. And I've been following him for a while and he was kind enough to share some of his knowledge with us. So Mike, great to see you. Thank you so much for being on today's episode. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So, um, let's get into it. Let's talk about you for the listeners who have, may not have come across your information just yet. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got started and where you're at today. Sure. So I started jujitsu in college. It was like a, you know, it was a little club. We had no, like literally I was learning from a white belt. I'm surprised we're not all crippled. Um, so I, I graduate college and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I had a bachelor's degree in psychology and history. So I was just doing the, you know, working in an office. And in the meantime, I was just, then I found a coach who, so I started taking jujitsu more seriously. He started to fight. I ended up being one of his main training partners. Randomly one time he said, have you ever thought about fighting? And it was like something that never, never crossed my mind. I was a very unathletic kid growing up. I wasn't able to really, I mean, I, I played sports as a kid, but I didn't really get past like middle school. So like I, I still was pretty unathletic. So it wasn't something that I really thought I could do. Um, so I started training for fights. I, I had a few Muay Thai fights and a few MMA fights. So I had a, after my pro debut, I remember I got paid 500 bucks and I broke my nose. I was like, you know what? This probably is not a good long-term life strategy. So I'm like, well, what else do I want to do? So I was, I was trying to think what could I do while also doing jujitsu. So I look into personal training. The problem is at the time I didn't have that personality of like being like a salesman where you have to like sell packages and all that stuff. And I'd never trained other than teaching jujitsu. I'd never done any physical training. So I wouldn't have been a good personal trainer anyway. I, um, I'm looking for jobs. I see something called a physical therapy assistant. I didn't know that that's a, 
its own degree and license. I started applying for jobs and then I realized like, oh, you need advanced schooling for this. So I remember I was sitting in on a, to, for all people who, who don't know, if you want to be a physical therapist, you have to do at least a hundred hours of like volunteer. I think for PTAs, for assistance, it's like 15. So I was like, all right, well, I'll sit in some, I'm, I'm at a PT clinic and I was like, I think I could do this. And then whoever I was sitting with was, you already have a bachelor's degree. You might as well just get the doctorate. And, you know, I was not keen on accumulating all sorts of debt, but I also didn't like the idea of like having to listen to somebody else. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go to PT school. And so I didn't really think that I was going to be able to merge the two, like PT and jujitsu. It was something that I just, I felt like there was like kind of like a loose connection. And, um, you know, after PT school, I started, you know, I kept training, I became a black belt. And then I realized that, you know, I'm training with these people and then they start coming to see me. I'm like, oh, wow, I can actually start to try to merge this practice and be kind of like a, this niche physical therapist that really works with martial artists. That's kind of how everything kind of came together. What an awesome journey. Yeah, to be able to go from uh, being in, like being, uh, we'll say a competitor in the sport yeah. and then figuring out, okay, well, what are the next steps to be able to take that into your career? It's awesome. And so, I, so I've interviewed experts in other sports and activities, and we discussed actually some common reasons as to why an athlete can actually get injured and specifically sciatic and low back pain. And so from the athletes that you've worked with, um, what causes have you actually seen in like the, the BJJ world? And we can also migrate into combat sports um, in regards to the low back pain and the sciatic. Like what were some of the common causes that you would see of which they would say, all right, I got to see you, Dr. Mike. Yeah. So I guess, you know, because I know not all your listeners are, you know, medical professionals. So just in case, so we could take sciatica, which is usually what people say that they have radiating symptoms down your leg. So we could say, what is the cause? Is that from a lumbar radiculopathy? So is a nerve getting pinched somewhere inside the nerve, herniated disc, et cetera? Or is it a peripheral nerve entrapment that kind of like goes through the sciatic nerve, which is sciatica? So just, you know, obviously, because those are slightly different things. So if you look into the research on jujitsu injuries, most papers that I've seen are focused on extremities. So like, okay, well, how are people getting hurt relating to like an arm bar or a knee bar? So a lot of times they actually like don't include uh, spine injuries, at least in for competition, because you have to think about it from like the, the only spine lock is going to be a twister, which is like a, a rotational movement, you know, a, or, you know, a forced rotational movement. So it's like, it's, and it's, it's not a common move. So there's not a lot of like back submissions. So most of the injuries that I see are going to happen in training. But again, because um, there isn't a lot of back submissions, it tends to be more of like an overuse. So it isn't like one instance where, oh, I did this and I started having issues. Now that can happen because unfortunately you look at the demands of jiu-jitsu in, in jiu-jitsu, you're going to see extreme spine flexion. The reason why is anytime you're using the guard, so when you're, you're playing the guard, you're on your back, every time your knees are coming to your chest, there's going to be some level of lumbar flexion. And again, it's not just you unweighted bringing your knees to your chest. You're using your legs to keep someone away. So whether you're creating space so that you can get back to your feet, whether you're creating space to prevent them from passing to like a, you know, a side control pin, you're using your legs. So they're generally, it's like you, you're resisting their full body weight. So it's like your full body weight in either a partial 
partial range lumbar flexion movement or, or sometimes even an end range movement. And then you can think that there's like certain maneuvers, which is called inverting. So as someone's trying to clear your legs to get chest to chest, you could do a move called inversion where you kind of like roll in a certain way, which again, it's based on spine flexion. So you're kind of, you know, if you do it correctly, you don't really hang out there. But again, there's a moment where you're upside down and someone's full body weight's laying on top of you. We can look at a position called the stack. So if let's say someone's, you know, in closed guard and I'm passing, what I can do is opposed to going around the legs, I can literally just kind of like bring them, roll them all the way up. So their hips are overhead. So I can, it's such an uncomfortable position. They let me pass, which for them, again, we're, we're putting them in this extreme lumbar flex position. So just the, the amount of guard you're going to see, um, you, we're just dealing with a lot of spine flexion. Um, you also can think of like when it comes to takedowns. So jujitsu practitioners are generally not as adept at takedowns as like other martial arts like judo or wrestler. So you're going to see a lot of people that are just going to be doing like um, shooting for kind of like sloppy takedowns. So a lot of times as opposed to in wrestling where you're kind of like bent over at the knee, you see in jujitsu, a lot of guys are going to be bent more at the hip. And again, their postures might not be great. So now they're going to be like some level of lumbar flexion. You shoot for the legs. So essentially what you're trying to do is you're trying to like grab someone's leg to pick them up. So if you have bad body mechanics, you're lifting with kind of like, you know, like lifting with your back, which is again, a loaded lumbar flexion motion. So those are some of the demands in grappling that you're going to see. And those are also the mechanisms where I'm going to see someone getting injured. And again, it might not be like one instance where someone gets stacked once. It could be just that accumulation of over and over and over again. And eventually people start having, you know, back pain, and generally, even though what, what makes jiu-jitsu very fascinating is it's not a sport where you only see people in their 20s, like you can see people in their 30s or their 40s who both compete and do it as a hobby, but I still would kind of like lump them in from like a medical professional standpoint that um, we're dealing with more like an acute athletic back pain, like uh, they tend to have like more segmental instability than like as people age and they're in their 50s or the 60s where they might have stenosis. Now, a lot of these jiu-jitsu athletes might be going the way to eventually have stenosis, but they're usually not there when I'm working with them. This episode is brought to you by the Patient Advocate Program. Are you tired of not having support between your rehab sessions? Introducing the Patient Advocate Program, more focused on your recovery and we're offering you 24-7 access to a doctorate of physical therapy. Stop waiting in line to be seen and stop spending hours doing long exercise programs. Imagine being able to get all of your care delivered straight to your phone. Best of all, it's affordable. We believe everyone deserves top-notch relief without breaking the bank. So why wait? Take control of your health today and visit PT Patient Advocate advocate.com and book your free call with our experts that makes perfect sense and so um <clears throat> you brought up the, there's three big highlights that i wrote down um yeah. and it was like questions that were popping up as you were describing this but then it got answered eventually i was like one yeah. seems mostly it was like an accumulation of of stresses yeah. accumulation of stimuli um over a period of time whether it be over subsequent training sessions um and we'll go into a little bit more uh later on in this conversation about like are we trying to like being able to differentiate the stresses that we accumulate in life in general versus the stresses that we accumulate in training. Um, and then you also, as you said, you see it mostly, uh, well, 
the research has shown mostly in competition um, yeah. and maybe not as much in training. And then um, the third piece was this concept of a lot of uh, spinal flexion, end mm -hmm. range spinal flexion, loaded spinal flexion. And I think what's really interesting with that is there was a period of time, probably within, we'll say from 2006 to 2017, where the, the McKenzie method and back extensions and never flexed your spine took a huge movement. There was, there was like that period of time where it said, oh my gosh, you should never flex at your back. And what was really interesting is that it started to evolve to get into actually, no, flexion is actually okay. Yeah. And there's a lot of professionals such as yourself, um, a couple other PTs and chiropractors are saying, yeah. actually, if we do graded exposure, but also ex exposure under the right conditions of spinal flexion is, is a key. So when it comes to being able to safely uh, accumulate and recover from spinal flexion movement, say something like when you are getting stacked in a guard, yeah. what are some of those strategies in which that, in which people and just athletes can stay healthy because they are in fact yeah. going to be in putting that flex position for a long period yeah. of time? Yeah. So, um, and obviously I can talk about how, how my rehab has changed because I remember that period that you're talking about. And so I, I didn't, I wasn't doing like, this is like an evolution of practice. Right. But, um, we'll, we'll come, we can kind of come back to that. But if, if let's say I'm working with a jiu-jitsu athlete, so there's no position that are inherently more dangerous. It's does that person have the joint prerequisites to do that movement. So again, there's a lot of people as they age and say, Hey, inverting, that's not good for your back, which is, I mean, again, it can be dangerous for the wrong person, but if the right person should be able to do it. And then again, for competition, it could be a good tool because it's, you know, it, it's a good defensive movement. It's a good way to escape. You can get into different leg attacks. So again, it's a tool that can be used, but not everyone has that ability. So usually when I'm working with an athlete as I want to make, we can break it up into both global movements and then segmental movements. So first is I want to make sure that they have enough global spine movement and we can take the spine and the spine is not one joint is every, every vertebrae is its own joint. So the thoracic spine is 12 vertebrae and then the lumbar spine is five. And then the sacrum is like a fused joint. So there's a whole bunch of joints. So first we have to make sure that someone has enough global motion in every plane of motion because the spine can flex, it can extend, it can rotate and it can side bend. So I want to make sure that they have that. So we can like put it, you know, I mean, we could, we can measure it, but obviously what does a goniometric measurement mean to like a, a practitioner? But again, is I want to make sure that when they're doing some of these movements that maybe they're not quite at their end range. So they have a little bit of buffer because you are going to be dangerous. It is going to be more dangerous if you're constantly riding that end range. But if you have a little bit of a buffer, it's going to be a little bit safer. And then we can look at segmental motion. So one of the things that, that I try to do, and you know, I'm, I'm trying to find a lot of research on this, but like in research, one of the acute um, back injuries that happens is when people throw out their back, which, you know, in research, I've seen, you know, one researcher just describe this as a spinal buckle where one segment is forced to move too far. Now, again, was that the one segment that has to move or, um, you know, cause a lot of times what happens is you might have a segment above and below that are stiff. So that one segment has to move. And, you know, obviously you're a practitioner. That's why surgeons are doing fusions a little bit less they're, they're trying to use these alternatives because if they fuse a joint, then people tend to need another fusion 
either above or below in about five years because the motion's got to come somewhere. So trying to create that movement potential at every segment so that we don't blow out a blow out your back or blow out that segment. And then once someone has this global motion where they have this segmental motion, then we can start to incorporate appropriate stresses. I like starting someone with an isometric because an isometric when done right is, I mean, obviously it's like almost a subjective intensity, like how high can you go? Um, a lot of times you see isometrics used in like rehab and they're just like low level isometrics. I can ramp up my isometrics to like a hundred percent. So it's like, it's like, it's the same difficulty as doing like a, a one rep max deadlift. Like it's very challenging, but obviously yeah. I don't start someone there. I, we work our way up there. Yeah. Great exposure. I mean, I'm glad you brought this, like the, the isometric itself because the reality with isometrics, if you look at the three types of muscular contractions, right, you have concentric where the muscle shortening. Yeah. If your muscle shortening, you're actually generating movement. You're actually yeah. only able to create so you're actually only able to create some maximal force yeah. because of the fact that you're the one that's actually creating the, the shortening of it. Isometrics is actually resisting motion. So when you're resisting motion, you actually have the opportunity to reach yeah. your maximal levels of force. And then with the eccentric, when you're slowing the, the elongation, you're actually reaching the, um, what is it, the, the supra maximal yeah. forces. Yeah. And so I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think a lot of people, when they think, you know, the most common isometric that people know when it comes to trying to treat their back is a plank. Yeah. And a lot of people would be like, oh, I'm going to try to hold this plank for like two, yeah. three minutes. Yeah. The reality is that you can't like hold a maximal muscular tr contraction for three minutes. Like that's not yeah. possible. Yeah. Right. We tap into the other physiological system. So I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. And then, you know, as you're going through this, it's like we have our global, global motions. We have our segmental motions. And I'm 100 yeah. percent agreeing with you because we have to have everything like work as a functional unit. Right. Yeah. But then also we have to make sure that we take into account those different various different segments. Yeah. And I often see this a lot, especially when I'm working with people who have neck issues, yeah. because they might have like a super mobile like C1, C2. But. Yeah maybe like that's the it's hypermobile because of the yeah. fact that they're not moving at their thoracic spine, right. not moving at their upper thrust, uh, lower thrust. Yeah. yeah. We have this. And um, I love the fact that, as you said, you were like, we're, we're talking about, like I, I put this in a box. It was like prerequisites yes. to be able to take on these various different yeah. challenges and stresses. So yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for yeah. sharing that. That's yeah. really impactful. So, um, so from there, right, if, if we're talking about like prerequisites, we have this mobility, we have this control. And then also, as you said, you're getting people into building up their isometric strength, their ability yes. to resist motion. Let's talk about just some progressions that people sure. can go through. Yeah. So sure. it's like, okay, someone gets hurt. And this, I mean, this can just be applied to just the general principles of recovering yeah. from an injury yeah. too, um, which can also be applied to sciatic and low back pain. Yeah. So generally if someone's in the acute phase i'm going to use like lower level intensities and we can break it up to like 20 40 60 80 100 effort and you know what's interesting in jiu-jitsu is, is a lot of times when i'm teaching people isometric ramping it's actually very similar to applying a choke so let's say i apply a rear naked choke i don't just kind of like squeeze as hard as i can and because i'm going to burn my arms out and anyone who's done jiu-jitsu it's like the worst feeling in the world you squeeze as hard as you can and your arms burn out before they tap. So now you can't, and they escape. And you're like, I should have, you know, submitted that person. So when I'm applying a choke, I'm slowly ramping up. I'm going 20, 40, and really around 40, that's when they're tapping or they go to sleep. Because we know it takes about 9 to 10 seconds for someone to go to sleep. So 
that slow ramp, we can use that same thing for any type of isometric that I use. So I kind of slowly ramp someone up just so they kind of understand what I'm talking about. So I do my assessment. I see wherever someone's lacking. I see. I first see where they're, they might have hinge points, so areas where they have that hypermobility or those areas of hypomobility. But let's say I'm working on global motion. So I might do like a, you know, if, if let's say someone's in a, a an acute injury, I might not jump them to my end range. I might working in their, their mid range, uh, but I'm going to do like a lower 20% effort. But we know that with low back pain, muscular endurance is, is more key because our stabilizing muscles are multifidi. They are, you know, supposed to be fatigue resistant. So it doesn't matter how strong they are because I have to make sure that they can stay strong long enough so our move our prime movers can move so i would do you know working upward towards a minute or more of an isometric hold if they can maintain it properly again that's that's our goal and as the intensity increases the volume has to go down because again you you can't kind of go increase the intensity and the volume i might start working someone to more now we're in their end range in whatever way um and and chances are i would do something i'd put them in a position where you know they're kind of like bending over and they might be hugging their legs in a situation where like their hamstrings aren't a factor like because if i bend down and touch my toes sick of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget join planet fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month cancel anytime deal ends friday may 10th see home club for details I don't know if it's my hamstring or a back that's the limiting factor. So I probably want their knees bent. And then this is a way that we can slowly start doing a mid range to an end range isometric. I can slowly, again, increase the intensity and then, you know, kind of progress. I could start working on the volume too when it's appropriate. But again, it, it has to be lower intensity. Yeah, we have to be able to change pretty much in essence, like one variable at a time, right? Yes. Because of the fact that if we try to change two or increase two at the same time, we actually end up surpassing it. I love the fact that you said um, objectively slowly ramp them up and the fact that you are in fact using percentages. I think that one of the challenges that people get, especially when the BJJ world where they go and they're told by their doctor, okay, you can't train for a while. And then we'll say six weeks go by, patients heal and they go back to the doctor and the doctor's like, yeah, you can go back to jujitsu, but like take it easy, right? And oftentimes taking it easy, like yeah. no one knows what that means. It's kind of, and so yeah. being able to say 10%, 20%, yeah. um, it allows us to be able to get a good, clear idea of what our progress is like, but actually truly measure yeah. the intensity, which I think is yeah. um, extremely important. And so um, going off of that, right? So we have this ramping up, we have the objective standpoint. Yeah. Um, I think you talked about this before, but for the folks, like when it comes to, when it comes to low back pain and sciatica, what are a couple of things that you look out for that helps you determine whether or not, is it actually going to be a lumbar radiculopathy or is it going to be more of a peripheral neuropathy? What is the thought process that you yeah. go through that kind of helps you define what those, those two are? Well, so, uh, you know, first thing I try to do is if I can, if my, if, if lumbar movement or spine movement can elicit symptoms, I'm thinking more radiculopathy. I could do some type of like PA spring, like I'm actually pushing on the spine. Does this create any symptoms? If, if I'm thinking radiculopathy, so again, we're thinking pain shooting down the leg. We also can look at some of their sensation. Is there sens sensation changes? 
Are there any type of deep tendon reflex changes? Is there any weakness? And then the key thing is like, can I provoke it? So can I, and that's like the thing it's, it's interesting, which people don't want to know, but like the deep, dark, deep, dark secret of physical therapies, I'm almost trying to create your pain on my evaluation, because if I can create your pain, I know what your pain trigger is, then I have a better idea of what I'm doing, you know, versus like a peripheral nerve entrapment. It might be like, I might be like actually palpating the piriformis or the sciatic and just doing a sustained hold. Does this actually create symptoms? We can do various tests. Like, you know, I could do a straight leg raise test where I can see, you know, where, where the spine is relative. I mean, the back is relatively neutral. And then the, the neck movement, again, if that creates movement, then that'd make me think, okay, maybe this is a sciatic nerve or peripheral nerve entrapment. So, I mean, stuff like that. The slump test is a little bit funky just because the slump test, the back is still flexed. So number one, when we are overcoming an injury, we have to figure out what is the source of that, especially when it comes to managing low back pain and sciatic. Of because of the fact that if you Google sciatica pain right now, sciatica pain relief exercises, yeah. you're going to find uh, programs that are probably going to have like 10 to 15 different stretches. And yeah. the 10 to 15 stretches, like you often see like the pigeon stretch, yeah. child's pose, downward, uh, upward facing dog, and the right. cat cow. And those are all pretty useful stretches and positions, but they, each one of those actually will address a specific tissue in regards to what the challenge is. And especially, I think I have a lot of issues with say like the cat cow because of the fact that you're adding both flexion and extension. And if you have a disc that gets irritated with flexion, yeah. then the cat position is going to make it not of course. to be good. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's important. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, and that's why, you know, it's important. And obviously you're a medical professional, like people need to go get assessed. Like you can't just go online and just find like some you know, some program that's just because essentially they're like, well, we don't know what the issue is. So we'll just do a whole bunch of random stuff, which hopefully will hit the issue. But the problem is, is, you know, like, again, let's say someone goes through this program and they're not guided. So now they might be irritating things in a different way. Like, ah, oh, the program didn't work. Well, three of the exercises might've been okay, but that one was problematic. So it's best. And then also for me personally, we both know that home exercise program compliance isn't always the best so if i'm giving someone like eight exercises and seven of them are garbage but one is gold i don't necessarily know they're doing the one that they really need they might be just doing all the other garbage exercises and like not getting anywhere yeah i noticed that for me as i've gotten older in my career yeah. i went from early in my career probably like 15 exercises until i was like deep into like i have no idea what i was doing i'm gonna have everyone <laughs> do everything to like a 25 exercise yeah program and now i literally tell my patients and the clients i work with listen at max 15 minutes a day like if we can find the right things you can do that and you gotta go back to living your life and addressing the lifestyle factors yeah. and so um let's talk about the concept of like like well most of this stuff will usually happen during training we talk about this accumulation stresses um i think the the question that comes to mind is when it comes to the accumulation of stresses do you think or what you've seen is it an accumulation of stresses that happens during the training sessions over time or is it that plus a combination of the stresses that we come in contact with in our everyday lives yeah i mean i think it's probably both right because you know it's not like we're only stressed with jujitsu it's like life so a lot of jujitsu athletes they might be lifting or they might have you know like sedentary jobs they might be in office so they're sitting for eight hours a day and then they go do this like crazy flex, you know, 
position in jujitsu, and then they're going lift, lifting with bad form. Like, you know, there's always a lot of things, right? So ultimately our job as medical professionals is figure out all the possible stresses and how we might be able to mitigate it. So yeah, I definitely think it's an accumulation of life, not just jujitsu. And I love that. Um, that's a, that's the same approach that I take because realistically speaking, unless you're like a professional athlete and you're like your main activity is this specific yeah. activity, you're going to have life come at you. You're going to be having to walk from place to place. You're going to have to drive. You're going to have to sit. And I like to think about it. It's like um, I, I started off my fitness career because I was a college athlete myself and retired and got into fitness and, and wellness yeah. and uh, getting into CrossFit. And a lot of people are like, well, I sit all day. Yeah. And then I'm going to come to do this CrossFit class, which is an hour, very, very concentrated movement. And I think that's going to be enough, yeah. right? So one, it was like is the concept of enough. Then also number two, people end up getting hurt. And then they're being told, okay, you should stop doing said CrossFit activity. And oftentimes they're not saying, well, if you're sitting eight hours a day, it would be a very good idea for you to be able to get up every hour or even change your workstation, which allows you to have that variety of movement. And I think that's where a lot of people get misinformed is the fact that they only look at said activity that hurt them. And I actually just recently spoke with a runner um, and they were like, I got hurt while running. But we also looked at, well, can you touch your toes? Can you do all these other things? And they didn't. They didn't have the capacity to do so. Yeah. So when it comes to being able to work capacity, like flexion capacity specific, because you see that a lot in jujitsu. Um, what are some of the activities, like things that you would recommend? So like flexion, which is forward bending. So yeah. when you're saying like great exposure, is it simply bending forward and touching your toes? Like what are some of those examples of great exposure into flexion to help people build their capacity into forward bending? So um, I like the cat cow, but I'll kind of kind of do a press, uh, obviously with an asterisk. So the way that the cat cow is normally taught is the people to kind of like flop up and down. So again, if they have hypermobility or hypomobility, we're not being specific. So a lot of times what I will do is I will try to create segmental motion, which if, if you have low back pain, we know that you're, you're a to make segmental motion is going to be poor, but it's the intention. So like my cat cow looks more like a spinal wave. Um, and then there's different things that I can do to try to create more spinal awareness. Like I could do what's called a wall peel off where I kind of like flatten my back against wall and I'm slowly trying to move one segment at a time. So what that does is that allows the wall, which is giving me tactile cue to kind of like block a segment. So I can kind of like peel one segment at a time. And again, if someone's ever done this before, it might not be like quite one segment, but it's likely going to be better than just moving in these like big movement chunks. I could do the same thing with like a segmental bridge. You kind of like do a, a glute bridge and then you're trying to flex one segment at a time. So you're using the wall or the, the floor, sorry, that have that tactile manual cueing of going one segment at a time. So those are like three exercises that I would start to incorporate um, to try to make flexion more tolerable a lot of times too like when i do the the wall peel off i can actually build that into an isometric where i have someone they flatten their back against the wall they slowly start to peel oh i get to this one segment things hurt that might be the the position where i'm doing those isometrics because we know that now we're at that that one segment that that's problem so that could be that hypermobile segment so now we want to try to do like kind of this motor retraining to strength training, to endurance training, add that specific segment. Yeah. When you're going through this, 
it actually helps people become even more aware of their position of their movement. I think most oftentimes, and I've said this a lot in previous episodes where one of the big things that separates us humans from animals is the fact that we're actually able to override a lot of those cues and we're able to dissociate our minds from our body, which leads to us pushing human performance. Right. But also number two, put ourselves in some positions where our bodies are saying, okay, we have enough. And so to be able to do something like this wall peel off, which I love, it's a great movement to be able to say, all right, here's this movement that you are going to be a little bit more self-aware of what is your body doing during this? And it allows, it gives all all of us an opportunity to get back into our bodies, which in jujitsu, like you have no choice, but to be within the moment. Right. But there's so many other times throughout the day where we're out of our body, just like overriding those signals. So I'm so glad that you're really bringing that up. Yeah. Yeah. So that's awesome, man. Um, and so, all right. So we got this breakdown, like, we have the lumbar radiculopathy. We have the peripheral neuro- uh, neuropathies as well. And then really trying to see, okay, there's a lot of spinal flexion. This is how we can do some greater exposure. Um, and also a way to prevent it or minimize it is to make sure that we are, in fact, very aware of our movement throughout the day so that we're not just doing one more so than the other. Um, for the B- BJJ athletes that are yeah. out there, people who are listening right now, um, who are dealing with low back pain and sciatica and stuff. Let's talk about some action steps, right? Because we yeah. had the opportunity to talk some really good uh, components of what's going on. But what would be, uh, yeah, what are some of the actionable steps that they can take to take care of their bodies, especially yeah. when they're in this case? And uh, I'm just going to say a funny story real quick. Um, I remember telling my coach, I was like, well, how do I get out of this arm bar? And he said, well, the best way to get out of the arm bar is to not get caught of it in the first place, right? So, um, but once we're in there, right? Um, yeah. Once we're dealing with that, what are, what are some of the actions that you recommend that people take? Are you talking about like from a te- technical standpoint? Like let's say someone's getting stacked, like how we can... Really more so like for the people who are BJJ athletes right now and they're yeah. like, oh, my back hurts. Yeah. Like what, what can they do? Like if they're okay. listening, like, yeah, this hurts. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, first thing you had to do is I would recommend seeing some of the medical professionals so they can go through the assessment, just like we talked about. A lot of times people are unaware of how poorly their body moves until they're put in these isolated positions. Because as you said, as athletes, we're always going to compensate. So like they can do something, but they're, they might be doing it very suboptimally. So we can get to see what does their isolated movement work? Because if, if they have, um, you know, a, a very severe deficit and someone has to do a compound movement, that one area is, you know, not moving. So somewhere it's going to get overloaded. So that's, that's a pretty common thing. You can pay attention to what positions are problematic. So like I've had people who they're like, I'm a competition uh, athlete. I want to get back to inverting my back hurts. Well, it's like, so obviously the lazy answer is like stop doing jujitsu. The less lazy answer is stop inverting. But as opposed to saying what you can't do, why don't I give an athlete an opportunity of what they can do? So if you can't do this, what's a different strategy? So maybe, you know, you don't invert, but what's what's a, a guard position that might be a little bit safer for your back? And I would say, why don't we try more of like a half guard or a knee shield, which is less spine flexion because we're on our side. Um, so there's just, it might be something where they can do jujitsu, but they're not getting constantly irritated because they're not just rolling over their back and just keep hurting themselves. Um, because again, like let's say even if you are working with your professional, right, and then you keep going to jiu-jitsu, you could be just keep irritating. And the flip side, like let's say, like you said, we go, you go to their 
you know your doctor, your doctor says stop jujitsu for six weeks, which is just an arbitrary amount of time, which is pretty much the doctor's way of saying, I don't know how to help you. So let's just take rest and the tissue hopefully will be healed within six weeks. But the problem is, is it doesn't, the injury isn't healed. The injury just stops hurting. And that's what, you know, usually what happens is that people have a history of a bad back or they have, oh, I keep throwing out their back. Essentially what that is, is that's a chronic back injury with repeated acute flare-ups. You know, one of the things that we see is let's say someone hurts their back, what do they do? They stop moving. So now those, those spine segmentation muscles, they're just going to start to atrophy because they don't have to do anything. And, you know, it's, it's interesting if you looked in the literature that what they found is that after a low back injury, your multifidi, which are your lumbar stabilizers, they start to atrophy and then they fill in with these like fatty infiltrates. They actually, I, I, I have to figure out with the paper that I read that was talking about this, but the, the fiber content will change from a slow twitch to a fast twitch, which is bad if it's supposed to be a stabilizer because we don't care if it's a fast twitch. So a lot of times people are like, oh, I threw up my back and it, it's feeling better now. It's like, no, it's just not hurting. So that's where, again, I like doing, you know, I, I found that that spine segmentation is a good long-term spine health strategy. I think the problem is, is it's not going to be like two visits. I do some segmentation and you're going to be magically better. It's, it's something that you have to practice with. If you have back pain, your the ability to make segmentation is going to be like pretty limited. So you're going to suck at it for a while. So that's something that I would do is try to learn the spine segmentation, um, which is not a common thing. Like most rehab, as we discussed, are probably going to be more McKenzie or like McGill based. Like that's still pretty common. But um, th that would be one thing that I would do is try to see if you can start working on spine segmentation because I think that is good for long-term spine health. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, and I love the fact that you said like, you got to look at the positions that are problematic. Yeah. You know, we take them out for now, but then if we yeah. were to reintroduce them, reintroduce them in a safe way, right? Graded exposure. Yeah. Um, maybe like in some cases, people are doing things wrong. Interesting yeah. story. I had a, a client who was uh, a purple bound jujitsu and he said his yeah. shoulder hurt every time he posted up on his shoulder. Um, to like sit up and I was like, okay, well, we got to look at you sitting up and see what you're doing. Yeah. Turns out that his shoulder was extremely internally rotated, put his shoulder yeah. in like a really compromised, a very inefficient position. Yeah, well, no kidding. That's, that, yeah, that's what shoulder's bothering me, right? Yeah. So being able to have that. And I love the fact that you said there's a difference between feeling there's a difference between better and not hurting. And I think that's where a, a lot of people confuse that where they're like, okay, I feel fine now. And then they go right into it, still going back into their same way, yeah. still doing the same things. They didn't learn anything from the previous yeah. injury. And then they just go through that same vicious cycle. And yeah. so it's a, it's a really eye open experience, yeah. Mike. And so, I mean, this is all really insightful, Mike. This is yeah. really, really cool. I think the listeners out there who want to get back into training yeah. are going to take a lot of value into this. And now you work with both, athletes and also physical therapists to actually yeah. improve their education. So for the folks who are listening, they're like, I want to yeah. listen to Dr. Pikarski a little bit yeah. more. What's the yeah. best way to get in touch with you? Uh, best way would be social media. Uh, my handle is Dr. Underscore Kickass. And, you know, I, I try to use my, um, so like my Instagram is, is essentially just like educational content. Like I, I don't really post too much stuff about me maybe a little bit i'll use pictures but for the most part it's just trying to educate the martial art athlete because i've been in a position where i did jujitsu before i was a physical therapist and like you know i'd have an injury i'm just praying it wasn't severe you know and i was just that knucklehead that didn't know any better uh, i feel like 
jujitsu athletes are probably like runners where like their identity is so built into doing that activity like the idea of not being able to do it like so people just keep training through these injuries and they keep getting worse. So anyway, that's kind of like what I talk about with my social media, you know, and, and I, I do have like a few online programs too. So for um, physical therapists, I do have a continuing education course called Treating the Jiu-Jitsu Athlete, where I kind of talk about this into a wider, I just go into much more detail where I talk about, well, like we look at the injury trends, like kind of like the unique injuries, kind of the return to sport idea going from an acute injury getting someone back to the mat i include some movement milestones that i use and this can be both for lower extremity upper extremity or the spine so these are some of the things that i do because essentially what gets me what what clears an athlete for me for sport is can their injured joint do what it could do previously and then can they how do they do with sport specific movements so we kind of include that and then i discuss like a great exposure from going from an injury to full competition well what's the what's the the mean the, the difference and then for people who aren't medical professionals i do have an online training called kin stretch for jiu-jitsu which is kind of like my system of joint training so kin stretch is a, a system called functional range systems i just took that and i'm applying it for jiu-jitsu um, you know, I have one for the lower extremity, I have one for the upper, and I'm hopefully going to finish my spine, uh, one by the end of this month, I'm hoping where I kind of like go through where if like, let's say you're a jiu-jitsu athlete and you're interested in spine segmentation, I kind of go through some of the strategy that I use with my clients. So you can too kind of work on that spine segmentation. Default listeners, I'm going to take all that and I'm going to put it into the show notes. So if you didn't get a chance to write that down, I'll put those links in. Mike, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you got some help from today's podcast. And for more info, check us out at ifixyoursciatica.com. Have a fantastic and pain-free day. No patient-therapist relationship is formed by listening to this podcast. We are not providing medical advice, and all information should be confirmed by a medical provider. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.